0: Welcome to the Medical Metaist Podcast, your source for Memory Techniques and Accelerated Learning in Higher Education. Now, here's your host, Chase DeMarco.
1: Today we're joined by Abby Markspiel, author of Ten Days to Faster Reading. The Complete Idiot's Guide to Speed Reading, Study Skills, Strategies for Study and Lifelong Learning, amongst others. She also taught study skills to allied health students and currently runs Revved Up Reading. Ms. Beal, thank you so much for joining us today.
0: Totally my pleasure. Thanks for having me.
1: So for our medical school audience, I know you have a lot of experience in different learning techniques, study skills, speed reading techniques. What are some of the topics that you feel could be beneficial to graduate learners and medical and healthcare students?
0: There are so many. I think the first thing to first say is that I know your podcast has some really great topics and I will apologize that I haven't listened to all of them. So if I duplicate anything that's already been said, maybe that's good because repetition is the key to learning, just so people know that. (laughs) Okay. So I have some ideas that I think are really great, but I think one of the first ones, which is really not a strategy per se, but it's more about being aware of what you think about how you learn. I think there's this attitude everybody comes to the table with when they start doing learning. And if it's more like, oh, uh, I don't know how I'm going to learn all this, or I won't remember that, or this is really hard, then it's going to be really hard and it's going to be really hard to remember it. But if you can catch yourself just saying these words and saying, wait a minute, no, no, I can do this. It is possible. You know, One step at a time, just really be your own cheerleader. I think you're going to find it helpful. When I was teaching kids in private schools long, long, long time ago, I had this thing called an I Can Can that basically whenever anyone in the room heard someone else say, oh, I can't do that, they would tag them and go, hey, you said you can't, you owe a dime. And so they would give me a dime and it would be just this kind of awareness building thing, which was really good. The thing is, we don't see it for ourselves. So tell the people around you, your fellow students, hey, catch me if I'm being negative, will (laughs) you?
1: That's that's a great tool. I wish I used that more often. I probably negative self-talk myself out of a lot of better instances and better grades if I would have just showed up a little more positively.
0: (laughs) I try. I mean, it's hard. I mean, medical school or any kind of advanced degree is really difficult, but medical school especially is so many details. And certainly the feeling of overwhelm is real, but you have to be your own, you know... Pants picker upper is the way I put it. (laughs) Pull you up by the pants, bootstraps, and go, Come on, I can do this. This is what I chose, you know? So that's definitely one of them. I also believe in looking at a person in their mental capacity. And one of the things that I think is helpful is to look at how they do self care. And this is, I know you're like looking for learning strategies, but this is part of learning, believe it or not. If you get enough sleep, enough, whatever that means for you. If you are watchful of your addictive behaviors, it's so easy to say, I'm going to have five cups of coffee today. I'm just, I just really need to stay awake or three Red Bulls or whatever, you know, alcohol whatever it is that you do those can be very difficult so kind of watch those and then exercising not just the mind which you do when you study but also the body and it could be through something gentle just as a walk outside or maybe some gentle yoga or it could be you know as excessive as you know a good sprint or run whatever but if you can combine good sleep really decent nutrition avoiding those addictive behaviors and exercising the body then learning comes more easily When you're stressed out, exhausted, sugared up, alcoholed up, caffeined up, you know, and just sitting all day long, it's just not a great formula for really being able to keep it going. I hope that makes sense.
1: I think so. And yeah, most, especially the basic sciences, the first two years of med school, you are spending a large amount of time sitting in the classroom, listening to lectures, sometimes not the best lectures. And (laughs) most students are highly caffeinated in order to get through the day. So it doesn't seem like the most ideal study session, study environment. I agree.
0: Yeah. Totally. And then with that too comes like, when are you doing reading, especially because I'm, I'm more of a speed reading, you know, or reading specialist. And so it's more about, are you waiting to the end of the day to do your reading when you're totally exhausted? Or are there pockets of time where you could get some reading done earlier in the day? I know that not everybody is a morning person, but if you are more of a morning person to even get up an extra hour earlier, have your coffee at that hour and do some reading, you'll get so much more done at that time than you would at like midnight when you're totally, you know, your brain is just so full and it needs to offload when you sleep. So I always suggest find these little pockets of time where you could read a chapter or a section during lunch in between classes, you know, right after, you know, the three o'clock class, whatever, instead of waiting until, you know, 10 night, midnight, you're like, ah. <laughs> it's, it's hard. You know that. It's really hard when, when you're tired and you've been through a lot, you've already had so much input. It's not easy.
1: I completely agree. I can never maintain any of the knowledge that I learn later in the late afternoon, evening. It has to be early morning, early afternoon, or it's a uh, good chance I'm not going to remember it later on.
0: Yeah. And so it's got to be knowing what's your best times of day, your best high concentration times. Mm -hmm. And some, like I said, some are morning people, some are really night owls. And if you really are a night owl, then really read your material late at night, but just know who you are.
1: I'm a night owl, but I still find it's too difficult there. It's like the willpower has been drained and it's just not going to be very effective. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You've already had so many things happen that day, tried to learn so many different topics, and just your daily experiences sort of build up throughout the day. So I find even being a night owl, later study sessions are not very effective.
0: Yeah, good to know. All this stuff is all about self-discovery and you know what can you tolerate, what works best for you. There's no one best way. It's very individualized, in effect.
1: I know another topic that you cover in pretty good detail is note taking skills and I want to cover what some of those skills might be if you could describe those for the audience.
0: Sure. Uh, Note-taking is probably the most important thing I think that learners need to do. And notes are typically the best when you know you have to go back and review, which probably for medical students is like almost everything. But you don't need to take notes on everything. Having a highlighter in your hand all the time is not always efficient if you're not highlighting the best things. So like when I teach speed reading, I talk about reading just key words or phrases. And a keyword is usually one that is like three letters in length or longer that has carries meaning of a sentence. And so when you highlight a sentence, you want to make sure that you're highlighting the bigger, most important words, not everything. Because when you highlight everything, when you go back to it later on, two weeks, three weeks later, you're looking at it going, why did I highlight that? You know, you want to be really clear why you're highlighting that piece. So highlighting is one way of taking notes. However, if you're highlighting like 75% or more of your page, that's really not effective. And that's usually because you're unfamiliar with the material and you need it all. And so there's, a, I think, better ways of doing it. Kind of a stopgap measure would be to like take a paragraph and take a pen or pencil, or if it's something you can't write in, put a post-it note there and summarize the paragraph. You know, in the margin. So you could do margin notes that way. So highlighting and or margin notes is, is good. But what I like the most, and this is what I did when I, when I was in college, I took a psychology course and it was to me foreign. It was not something I, I really understood. And so what I did was every chapter I took a look. And this is also a reading strategy is to know that every textbook chapter starts from an outline. Anyone who writes a textbook, I've written three of them, I know you have to have an outline. And so then when I write it or when whoever you're reading has written it, it's a fleshed out outline. And so if you first can find the writer's outline, and then you're going to take notes, basically taking what they fleshed out and condensing it back into an outline, that is very helpful. And the way that I like to tell people or share with people how to do it is using the Cornell method of note-taking. So have you covered that, Chase, in any of your podcasts at all?
1: We haven't really covered that. We've covered highlighting a little bit from a cognitive psychology standpoint, and especially textbooks these days where most of the key topics are bolded for you. The need for highlighting might not be as necessary as it might've been in the past. We've covered a little bit with the outlining with the SQ3R system. Mm. Uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with that terminology, but yeah, 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 of course. (laughs) And had Howard Berg explain that a little bit in one of our early episodes. I think it was episode five or six, but we haven't covered the Cornell notes Taking method. Okay. So, this will be an interesting new addition.
0: So, all this builds one on the other SQ3R survey question read, revise, review, something like that. It's basically, it's this is not SQ3R, so let's, let's push that aside. Okay. You, you can Google, you know, this would be helpful. You can Google the Cornell method. And so, it was created at Cornell University in 1955. One of the professors there basically was worried why these freshmen who came in with great SAT scores and very good grades were having a really hard time. Passing their courses in their first semesters, and so it wasn't because they weren't in class. They were. It wasn't because they didn't do the homework. They did, but what they weren't doing is they weren't taking good notes. And so he created this method, and it's it's something I use all the time. So I'm going to describe it, and hope that the visual can come through. And what I'm going to describe: so you take a regular, you know, eight and a half by eleven sheet of paper that's lined, you know, college lined. However, if you can move that left-hand margin or create your own, that left-hand margin is usually just about an inch, add two more inches and put a ruler down so that you now have three inches on the left and the rest is on the right. So the left-hand three-inch margin is going to be what's called the recall column, R-E-C-A-L-L, the recall column, and the right-hand side is the body of your notes. So on the left side is where you're going to put main ideas. You're going to put vocabulary term. You want to put a date. You want to put a name. You want to put a concept, a formula. And on the right side across from it is going to be the explanation of what you put on the left. So one of the things I also suggest is that if you have a brand new topic, you're not familiar with it, a new area that you're learning, that you take these textbook chapters, and like you said, there's a lot that's already bolded for you. A lot of times it's key terms, is to create your own key term list. It's almost like making flashcards, but you do it on this paper. I call it the Cornell paper, the three-inch margin rule paper. And you put your vocabulary word on the left, and you put your definition in your own words, in your own words on the right. Get rid of superfluous stuff like what does it really mean to you? Not what does the book tell you it says, but what does it really mean? And then you have this nice list already that you've created. So the left hand has vocabulary, right hand has the definition. And then when it's time to study it, you cover up the right hand side of the paper and you look at the vocabulary word and you try to come up with the definition. And so it it gives you a way to study and you can also cover the left-hand side, look at the definition and say, what is that? And so it helps to kind of give you a way to put it all in one place and then study it from it. I hope that was clear. Did that make sense?
1: I think so. You're basically taking the bottom third for a summary. You're taking the left one third for your key terms, and then the right two thirds are your in your own words definition.
0: So you added the summary part on the bottom, which I don't typically oh, tell I people. Must... to do. Okay. Just... <laughs>
1: I've seen that somewhere else. Then I apologize.
0: <laughs> no, you're right. You're absolutely right, Chase. Because there are different ways to do the Cornell method. To me, that gets more complicated for most things that you read, and especially textbook reading. But it's possible that you could break it up so that you have the left third for your recall column, the right part is for the body. And then the bottom, maybe quarter or third is where you summarize what you've just learned in that chapter. You can do that if that's where you're at. I've never been very good at doing that. So I haven't, and I don't teach it.
1: I probably wouldn't either.
0: It just seems like more. So if you just have the left and the right, that's enough.
1: Yeah. I think. Keep it simple.
0: <laughs> keep it, yeah. Keep it simple. It's just, that's all you need and get really good at figuring out what is most important to put on the left.
1: And this is an interesting topic coming from the aspect of medical school students or healthcare students, graduate students, because I don't see medical students using this type of study strategy. And they're coming from a group that was probably top of their class or upper portion, upper echelon of their class. But then when they get to med school, they're all equal again. And it can be really hard to try to find those little techniques that'll maybe increase your abilities a little, maybe put you over your fellow classmates a little bit and get the material down quicker. So this might be a very useful strategy, especially learning the early vocabulary when you're new to a lot of the terminology for different disciplines.
0: I personally find it very helpful. And so learning styles, I'm sure you've covered something on that. But when you look at left brain and right brain types of thinkers is that most of the learning in medical school is left brain and textbooks are all on the left brain side. And so when you take the Cornell method and you're putting your outline on the left and the detail on the right, you're basically using the concept that the brain needs for the left, left-hand left side. Now, those who are more creative on the right brain side, they can add pictures, they can draw things in their notes, or they could even go so far as doing something called mind mapping. And mind mapping is not for everyone, but it can be very useful. Like if you're trying to follow a professor that is just scattered, where they start in one area, then they, they go to A, then they go to B, then they go to D, then they go to Z, and then they come back to A. And you're going, I don't have more room here to write my notes. Like, And so to follow a professor like that using something called mind mapping, Tony Buzan is very popular. You can look him up, Tony Buzan and mind mapping. It'll share with you the basic format but it's basically taking a main idea in the middle like the topic of the class for the day and then you create like rays of sunshine or spider legs however you want to look at it and you just kind of put notes according to where the professor goes and it's very free-flowing you can put colors to it you can put pictures to it not everybody can follow that or does follow that but some people are very right brain and they they like that as an option sometimes
1: Yeah, I think the mind mapping concept is very interesting, very artistic. And for me, it was difficult to get used to. I'm still not very good at it because I've just never been that artistic in my own opinion. But also when I have used it, I can recall those better because of the effort I think you put into designing the note and the organization of the material. That effort when creating it helps you recall the information better later on. And yeah, I think the late Tony Buzan, I believe he passed last year, Mm. has some really interesting books on that. But mind maps are kind of like concept maps, but with more artistic flair, correct?
0: Yes, exactly. And when you brought up the idea uh, or the concept of remembering better, when I took that psychology class, so there were like, I don't know, 20 chapters through the whole semester. And each chapter that was like 30 pages, I would condense down to six to eight of these Cornell pages. And it was great because well, it took more time at the time to do that. So each one for me took about every 30 pages, took anywhere between an hour and a half to two to do. And I was an efficient reader. So certainly it might add more for someone that's not as an efficient reader. But then then I got a surprise. The professor said like a week before the exam, and I had started studying my notes and I was getting ready for the exam. He said, oh, this is an open book test. And I was going, no, that's not good. Because I put everything in my notes. Everything was in my notes. And I'm like, I know nothing. I I saw the book once or twice. You know, in my notes, it would say, you know, see figure, you know, 6.2 and, you know, on page 244. And I would go back to the book, just looking at something because I wasn't going to recreate it. And I was just like, okay, this is my test. I have to see if just taking notes without the book is going to work. And it was fine. I did well. But I remember that my heart went in my stomach, like, really? (laughs) <laughs> You're telling me this now? <laughs> All of that effort. <laughs> All that effort. But I learned it. The thing is, you learn it the first time, and then it's just reviewing it versus I read it. I'm not sure what it says. I got to read it again. I got to read it again. It's, it's, it, that's really painful. Yeah. So it's worth the time and effort to do it that way.
1: Yeah. And when it's in a more organized format, it's probably better to visualize when you're recalling the information later on, whether it be a Cornell note-taking or mind map versus just regular linear notes that maybe you have some sort of indentations or something to organize it, but it's really not that well organized. It's hard to separate the different material. So it's more difficult to recall later on.
0: Yes, that's true. And just in case anyone is listening to this Wants to not have to make their own lines. You can still purchase this paper. When I started out in, in my career, like thirty years ago, on the, the shelves of Staples, they had this paper, but it obviously wasn't a big seller. But it's called three-inch law margin rule. If you Google hmm. it, you I, I know Staples still sells it. it. It's a little expensive, but for a hundred sheets, it might be like five dollars, six dollars. But you can find it even less. It just look for it, and you can get like you know reams of it. As I do, because I still take notes that way when I have client meetings. It's not just for reading from textbooks and studying, but also for doing business. I also use it. So,
1: All right. Three-inch law margin rule. Yeah. Okay. We'll put a note in that as well. I'm kind of thinking that this type of note-taking would be very useful for making quick notes during class. And then if nothing else, you can always transfer those to a flashcard program or something that a lot of medical students heavily rely on later on.
0: Yes, exactly. For sure.
1: I know on the topic of speed reading, you've mentioned a few times. Can we start to go into some of the techniques that you use for that?
0: Yes. What I want to explain first, and I want to make sure I can get my definition. I do these webinars sometimes, uh, free webinars, and I try to explain like what is speed reading so people know. And I came up with this like really interesting, well, I think it's interesting, (laughs) definition of what exactly is speed reading. And so I just want to find my definition of it.
1: That's probably a good idea. I think a lot of people have misconceptions about what it is.
0: They totally do. I, I know it. I wish, I wish speed reading didn't have such a weird connotation thinking that it's superhuman because it's not. What it is, in my opinion, is it's a set of active, mindful, and conscious strategies that allow you to get what you need quickly from any reading material in an efficient and an effective manner. That's my definition. Okay. It's not reading everything and not understanding anything. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. So you see superhuman like Howard Berg and these people that read 10,000 words a minute are insane numbers. And that is not the average. That's not what you should be trying to attain when you're learning speed reading.
0: No, no. Right now, the average reading speed of the average person who graduates from high school is around 250 words per minute. That's average. Now, medical students, I'm not sure exactly. I've not worked directly with medical students. I've worked with law students. I've worked with other, you know, milieu but not specifically medical students. So I don't know what their average is. But believe me, after 30 years of teaching, I'm going to say the average is two fifty. Now look at look at your page of materials that you have to read at 250 words per minute. You're not getting far too fast at 250. So you have to have effective strategies. Like number one, like I mentioned earlier, every chapter started from an outline. So there's an outline. Go find it. Find the outline first. That's part of the survey I guess if you look at you know SQ3R, it's like find that outline to get the main ideas, you know, first. Mm-hmm. And so so that is one of the ways to do it. Developing one's reading skills before you go into any advanced degree or even, you know, especially medical school is probably the most important thing you can do because reading is the mother of all study skills. If you are good at reading, you're going to be good at learning. If you're not good at reading, it's hard to be good at learning. That's That's kind of my philosophy around that.
1: And I think with the intense material and the high concepts that you need to learn in a medical text, for instance, your, your normal reading speed is going to drop significantly as well. So you're at another disadvantage there if you're already a slow reader and now you're coming across this very complicated text. It's going to take a long time to get through written material.
0: Right. So I talk about this thing called the gear shift. And if you look at your hand, and I use, I use a hand as an analogy, that we have five built-in gears. And so if you look at your thumb and your first finger, those are gears one and two. And so those are the gears that are the slower gears of any vehicle. And this is where most people are stuck because they've never learned from school. No one taught them unless they took a course how to get to the gears three, four and five, which are the middle finger, fourth finger and fifth finger. So I I talk about these five gears and knowing how to shift amongst those. So going into first gear is great when you're memorizing something. But when you're first learning something, you shouldn't be in the memorizing phase. You need to be in like maybe three, gear three, when you're just, you're looking at the main overview, you're getting the concepts. And then when you study it, you go down to one.
1: You're kind of priming your brain for the information that's about to come across the page.
0: Exactly. And so knowing that you're not doing one speed for everything. So I talk about thing called purpose and responsibility. Why are you reading this and what do you need it for? So if you can come up, why am I reading this? Because I have an exam on Friday on this topic. And then what are you reading for? I need to know vocabulary. I need to know concepts. I need to know the, the process or the protocol. And so this way, at least you now know based on your class, what your professor is saying you're going to be tested on or what you know from the experience you've had with that professor. And so you read according to that. If it starts going into a section on like the history of breathing tubes and you're like, it really doesn't apply to what you're doing. Don't spend a lot of time on it. Spend time. You know, it's about focusing the brain. Why are you reading it? What do you need it for? Hmm,
1: I see. I think recalling reading back some of the textbooks from a while ago, granted a couple of years ago now, my thought process at the time was read every word because you need to absorb every bit of information. The more you absorb now, the less work it's going to be later. And it never worked out that way.
0: <laughs> so what worked?
1: <laughs> ah, I'm still figuring that out. <laughs> no, I say that what myself and a lot of other students that consider themselves not strong readers and poor comprehension or slow readers, we would focus more on video materials. So Pre recorded lectures and such, and write our own notes based on that. And of course, making flashcards and multiple spaced repetitions, rehearsal practice were the most effective in the long run. But initially, reading the textbook was my biggest fear. It would probably take me several years to actually read through a textbook.
0: <laughs> I shouldn't laugh. When I was in college, I hated to read. And the thought of reading was just, ah, I was allergic to it. It wasn't until after college that I learned all this stuff. And I, you know, it's one of those things you kick yourself. But then when I went for my master's, master's, master's degree is when I I was able to really apply it. But I get it. I totally get the fear of reading when when you're not good at it. You feel like it's a waste of time. You're not satisfied. When you finish, you reread things and you go, what did I just read? what was the point of that 2 hours i just spent
1: <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah and i never learned about using a pacer or subvocalization or any of those terms so but that seems to be a good segue into the next section would you mind explaining what some of the tactics for speed reading is that the audience can use
0: yes definitely so when i talk about reading actively like and mindfully what i'm talking about is first setting your intention why are you reading it what do you need it for and then about using your hands or a card are very helpful if it's physical material or adapting it to on screen. I do teach this stuff. I have my, I have an online course called Revit Up Reading and I teach people how to do it. But basically the concept is like this. Take all these words that you're looking at and trying to focus your attention on where your eyes need to be. And using a hand, your hands or a card will do that. So in my book, 10 Days to Faster Reading, each chapter has one of these different strategies. The Complete Idiot's Guide has them in all of the chapters as well. And it shows how to do it. I'll give your listeners my favorite one and the one that I share everywhere. It's called the white card method. So if you take a blank white card, like a three by five, four by six blank, it could have lines on it if that's all you have. And what you do is you put it on your reading material. Now, I'm going to ask you, Chase, maybe you know the answer to this, but here's a white card. Here's your reading material. Where do you want to put it?
1: Traditionally, I've always seen that you put it below the line you're trying to read.
0: Right. That's very traditional. That's where everybody would say, yeah, I'll put it underneath. That sounds good. Well, it's okay. But when you're reading, think about this. If you pull the card down the page, what's still exposed is what you've already read. So it gives your brain this other opportunity to not get it the first time to not trust your brain. And so it's kind of like, oh, I can go back. I can reread. I feel safe. But you're also blocking where you're going. So to use a white card appropriately and really effectively is to take that card and put it above the line that you're reading and have it push you down the page and it's covering what you've already read. So the times you lift that card to double back should become a lot less over time because you get it the first time. So it focuses you line by line going straight down the page. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense?
1: That does. And it also seems a little more scary because you don't have the ability <laughs> to go back and reread.
0: Yeah, you do. You're the, you're the one who has the card you can pick it up anytime you want fair fair. (laughs) And then you can adapt it to a computer screen. So if you read your documents on screen, is that you line up the first line of text to the top of your screen, like the ruler or the top of your margin. And then on the side, you scroll down. If you can even set your mouse to one line at a time, you scroll, you hit it, and it goes up into the black, almost like the card is moving down. So you can adapt it to an on-screen article as well. It's really helpful because honestly, for me, I can't get into those higher gears of four and five without using... My hands are a card. I really need to have my body focused, my hands focused on the material, and it really does work.
1: All right. The white card being so basically a note card or anything that you have lying around you, you can use and just blocking off.
0: Printer paper, blank white printer paper, backside of a business card that's you know, blank. Anything that's blank, <laughs> blank, blank, blank. And if you don't have a blank card, use your pinky. So take your hand and kind of like do a. How do you do this? Like a
1: hang loose sign. A hang
0: loose thing. <laughs> and so take your pinky and the hang loose and just kind of go from the top down. So your pinky becomes the way to read.
1: Okay. So you don't recommend using a finger to scan like a lot of pacer recommendations seem to be. So you sort of follow your finger along the paper from side to side.
0: So there's definitely, so some pacers can be using your finger on the page, but what I want to avoid is if you go side to side, some people end up pointing to every word. And that to me is that's like sounding it out, hearing it in your head. It's a very slow way to read. So what I suggest is that you take your finger and put it on like the left margin and the right margin, if you can, or just the left or just the right. But I like both margins. And you basically take both fingers at the same time and go down and your eyes ricochet off your fingertips. So you're framing the column with your fingers, your index fingers only, pointed up, gently pulling down the page. And I know you're seeing me, but your people are not going to see me. (laughs) So I hope, am I making sense without seeing me?
1: (laughs) I hope. Hopefully. Okay. So fingers on both sides of the line, you're dragging them down as a marker sort of like playing Pong.
0: (laughs) Yes, yes, that's perfect. That's a great analogy, yes.
1: And your eyes are darting back and forth. Okay. Right,
0: and so it really helps keep your place because there's so many words on the page that it really helps to focus. Getting from the end of one line back to the beginning accurately is not always easy to do. But if your finger's always there as a placer, it's great.
1: And if you don't know what Pong is, you're probably too young to be listening (laughs) to this podcast.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Think of ping pong back and forth. There you go. There you go. (laughs)
1: Yeah. And with that technique, um, some resources I've seen in the past suggest reading backwards. So you're sort of zigzagging your eyes across. It's not a straight reading the line from left to right. And then you drop down to the next line, read it left to right. You're going back and forth, basically reading backwards to some degree, or at least picking up keywords backwards.
0: That takes a little bit of practice. That takes some skill. What you learn when you first start in any kind of a development phase of reading, you have to first know that your eyes are pretty much only looking at one word at a time. And so you're trying trying to expand your peripheral vision so you can see more words at a glance going on the page. So as you get really skilled and your eyes are more used to seeing more words at a time, then it can take in more than one line at a time. And as you go backwards, it picks up as it goes. I would say that that isn't the way to start reading something. It's a great way to review something because you're kind of in a way skimming, going back and forth looking for what's important, trying to refresh your memory versus learning. That's just my own opinion. Mm, Okay. Yeah.
1: Now we cover the white card technique, the white card method, which is derivation of a pacer technique. And what are some of the obstacles they might run into and how to overcome them?
0: Probably one of the biggest ones is that they're trying to read at A, the wrong time of day, and they're just too tired, or B, in the wrong or most distracted place they possibly could be. And so it's about being very aware of your environment, set yourself up for success. That's what I talk about. And so if you know that you need to have classical music on in the background, put some classical music on quietly in the background. If you know you don't want to have any music on in the background, make sure you're in a place that doesn't have music. If you don't want to get interrupted or you find you are getting interrupted too much and you want more you know, peace and quiet, then put yourself in a place that you can be more peaceful and more quiet. It's kind of like, people just go where they think they go because it, convenient, but you have to be very aware of what do you, what are your learning needs? What do you need when you learn? And like for me, I always have a glass of water. I can't start my day without something to drink by my side. It's really weird. It's my own learning preparation ritual. Everybody has them. Some people clean their dishes, you know, some people, you know, they make sure they go to the bathroom. Some people, you know, I don't know, check their calendar, whatever it is that you need to do to prepare to learn and be in a space that's going to be con- concentrating, I think is is one of the best things that people can do. And then you can apply any note-taking method, any reading method, hand or card method, anything like that would be very helpful. So
1: laying down in bed, ready to go to bed, probably not the best time to try these techniques out.
0: No. No, being prone is difficult. <laughs> yeah. I, always, I tell people, you know, you can read in bed, but don't expect to get a lot done. It should be a place that, like, you might get a couple of pages in as a nightcap, but it's not the place to read for study purposes and learning purposes. That sitting at a desk or table is the place to be. If you're trying to even be in a lazy boy chair or a couch, it's difficult. It's not where the brain has been accustomed to learning. You want to be in a place where the brain thinks, okay, I'm here to learn, I'm not here to sleep. Not that you can't fall asleep sitting up at a desk, But, you know, the chances are less than if you're in a really comfy place.
1: Yeah. And don't put on pajamas before you go for a jog. You need to get (laughs) in the right position and make sure your brain and body is in the the most alert state if you want to absorb the most material. Otherwise, you're probably going to just get a fraction of what you normally would.
0: It's true. That's so true. It is so true. So be aware of where you put yourself and what's in your environment and set it up for success.
1: Now, do you have any techniques for limiting subvocalization? Or first, can you cover what that is?
0: Sure. Subvocalization is also called mental whispering. And it's basically when you talk inside of your head. Uh, and pure sub is reading every single word that your eyes are seeing. It's sounding it out, hearing it in your head. And sub uses two parts of your body that technically you really don't need when you read. So when you read, your eyes should look at the page, you should know what it says, and it should go straight to your brain. But when you subvocalize, a lot of times it's almost like you have to sound it out with your lips. And sometimes you see people move their lips, but you don't even have to move your lips. And then it's like you have to hear it, and then you understand. it. And so we have to almost be deaf or mute, deaf and mute technically, in order to really be a good reader because you have to not be sounding it out, hearing it in your head all the time. So the thing that people have to know is that sub is the way that people have learned how to read, sound it out, hear it in your head. And so when you subvocalize, it slows you down, but you will always subvocalize some so don't think you're going to get rid of it completely, but if you can limit the faster you read or as you speed up your reading, the less you can read every single word. And so speed is one of the ways to reduce. One, one is to be aware of it. And the second is to start reading faster. And using your hands or a card is one way to do it. I also suggest for people that subvocalize to start reading keywords or phrases. And that's another you know way to get content quickly with good understanding. Keywords, again, are three letters or more. And they're bigger words, most important words on the page. Whereas phrases are groups of words that form a thought. And so you can learn how to group things together. It, it's all, all dependent on how you think.
1: All right. That's an interesting point because I was going to mention after about a year of practicing some of these speed reading techniques and not as much as I should, admittedly, but I still always start off with sub-vocalizing. It's just built in and I can't seem to get rid of it. But mm. if I really, after a while and, and start getting faster with my reading of that material, it's almost like going into flow. And then I don't realize that I've fallen out of the sub-vocalization and then I can read faster with less distractions.
0: Yeah. So when you say when you start out sub vocalizing and it's kind of normal like if you start running if you've ever been doing any kind of a sport like the first few minutes is kind of warming up the muscles getting everything stretched out and then it can start to flow if it's okay I would like to share and you can edit this out if you want on my website I have this thing called a free one day pass and in that it's one module of my course and it has my favorite exercise called discipline your eyes it's in all my books it's also on this it shows you how to read in phrases and so it's kind of like the warm-up that you can can use when you are reading anything. So, especially before reading for study purposes or, you know, reading textbooks for taking notes, and it takes less than a minute to read, it's a really great way to get your eyes to move from left to right, understanding the concept of phrasing and rhythmic movement. So, I highly recommend people go. It's free, you know, no obligation anywhere, and you get some pretty good information there on the free one-day pass.
1: Yeah, that'd be great. I'll add a link in the show notes as well. So learners can Thank click you. on that and practice that. I want to try it out now because I had been under the impression that I must not be doing this very well if I still fall back into the sub vocalization practice.
0: But. I still sub vocalize sometimes, but I catch myself and I know what to do to, to come out of it. I, I think what people think is oh, once you learn how to do something, it never is something you have to think about. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, we're human and we go back into our old habits really quickly. And so there are times I know I'm reading really slowly and I have to make that decision. Is this the speed I want to go? Or do I want to go to a different speed? Do I want to add a hand or card? Do I want to be in a different place? Or am I very happy just reading, plodding along in my own lackadaisical way? It's all choice, but it's not something that just happens. You have to make it happen.
1: You have to be aware of it to make it happen.
0: Exactly. And then to know what to do. Once you're aware, like, oh, I'm going really slow. What do I do? Uh, Mm -hmm. I don't know. (laughs) Oh, white card. I can put a white card. Yay! (laughs) Yeah, it's about having choices, knowing what to do.
1: Great. So the white card method and the mental whispering or sub-vocalization method, are there any other tips or techniques that can help speed up a student's reading?
0: Certainly there are some, but I just think catching yourself sub is helpful. Catching yourself going back, it's called regression. When you're, It usually means you were reading very slowly and were daydreaming at the same time. So catch yourself daydreaming also. If you're daydreaming a lot, and daydreaming, I mean, there's good and bad daydreaming. So the good daydreaming is when you're applying something that you're reading to something you already know. So if you're reading something, you know, about surgery let's say and you were in a surgical suite just recently and it's like oh I can apply that okay that's not daydreaming that's really good that's how you that's how you build bridges of knowledge but when you daydream about oh man I gotta pick up that milk on the way home and oh wow, I'm running out of bread and I gotta call Sue and you know that's the bad daydreaming. <laughs> stuff that just takes you way off course and just catch yourself doing it. Sometimes write down what it is you're daydreaming about because the brain will forget it. You know, when you want it to come up, write down, call Sue, pick up milk, pick up bread, put it off to the side and then get back. And so you want to catch yourself daydreaming, going back over stuff and sub-vocalizing so that you can then put into play some things that would be helpful.
1: And it's good to know I can now use that as an excuse for my daydreaming. There's there, good daydreaming. <laughs>
0: there is good There is good daydreaming. It's It's healthy daydreaming. <laughs>
1: All right. What can a student expect as far as increased speed of their reading by implementing some of these techniques? What's sort of a normal expectation?
0: So because the people who are listening to this are medical students, what I suggest that people try to do, depending on when you're listening to this, is to practice or experiment on material that's easier pretty easy in comparison to your most difficult textbooks, because you want to get your eyes and brain familiar with the concepts before you apply it to the more technical material. I hope that makes sense. And so, you know, practicing on your favorite magazine or a newspaper or a couple of online articles, just to kind of get into that kind of a flow would be helpful and and the confidence that you'll build doing that. So then when you hit your own materials that are more technical and more important, you know, for your learning, then it would, makes it feel better. You, you just have more confidence when you do that.
1: That makes sense.
0: Yeah. So you want to not apply it to your most technical material first.
1: You're going to be too nervous about retaining the information and not being yeah. able to focus on the technique. It's too hard to do both at the same time.
0: Yeah. You don't want to worry about that. I've had people come into my class and go, I have to learn this really quickly because I have a test tomorrow. And I'm going... Uh, yeah, that ain't going to happen. <laughs> <Not> <laughs> it takes time. time. You you know, you're unlearning some old habits and building some new habits and mm-hmm. it does take a little bit of time, but it doesn't take forever. It really, people think how long does this take? And like just depends on how much you use it. And if you read every day, there's definitely something or some parts of it that you can use on certain materials that you read, even your emails or reading a web page. Definitely some things you can do.
1: That's a good point. Just focus and be purposeful before you enter your email and say, I'm going to speed read these. And that's your 10, 15 minutes a day, most days out of the week, that you might start seeing some improvements after not too long.
0: Yeah, exactly. And th- that exercise, discipline your eyes, I can't say how important it is enough. And I, do think, if I remember correctly, it's been a while, but if people do sign up on my mailing list, you get access to free resources. And I think that's one of them that you can download. So you get the paper version of it versus the digital version. So it's just, it's a great thing to photocopy put in every book you read. It's a really good reminder of what you need to be doing.
1: Awesome. I'm definitely going to check that out as soon as we're done with this. (laughs) So (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. So I usually like to end these with three questions called Just Three Wishes, and they can be as in-depth or not as you want. If it's controversial, don't need to go too in-depth. But the first question is pretty easy. That's if there's anything you wish you could remember better, what would it be?
0: I have to say it's names. I know that's like the thing everybody's got. And I know I've taken memory courses. I definitely, I know what I can do to do it. It's an intentional thing, right? It's about, you know, looking at someone's face and trying to make an association and, and map it and remember it. It's, it's just an, an energy I just don't typically have. Unfortunately. So, you know, there are times I really try like in a networking event or, you know, when I meet people sometimes for the first time, I really try hard to, you know, repeat their names and to shake their hand and, you know, that kind of thing. But that's still a challenge. I love people that can do it all the time. My kid's pediatrician. I haven't seen her in like six years. My kids are older. Ran into her in the store the other day and she goes, hey, Mrs. Beale, how you doing? It's like, you remember me? Like, oh my God. <laughs> and then she goes, yeah, your kids, John and Mike, right? They're like, uh, yeah. How many kids do you see a day? Remember me? <laughs> I mean, I was so impressed. I, and I had to say to her, I bow to you. I was like, wow, that's awesome.
1: Yeah, that is not my strong suit. I have a lot of that negative self-talk involving names. I'm like, oh, you're not going to remember it. Don't even bother. <laughs> right from the get-go, it's downward spiral.
0: But it's intentional. It's, a, it's an active, mindful, conscious strategy, just like these study skills are. It's not something that I think comes naturally for everybody. Very true. So there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's our excuse for sticking to it.
0: <laughs> That's right. <laughs> exactly
1: next question is if you could change one thing in education what would it be
0: when you said one thing that was really hard because I have so many things I wish I could change I want to blow <laughs> it up and start over if that if I could really All right, uh, summarize. <laughs> I think if people were taught or if there were really good study skills courses in high school that really gave students options, it's not like, okay, so the teacher learned this way, therefore you have to learn that way. But more kind of where I come from, which is let's lay out the buffet of ideas. Not all of them are going to work. Cornell method works for some people. Mind mapping works for other people. There's no rigidity here, but you have to try it and to get people to know what else there is. And to me, they just don't have enough of those around. And the ones who do take them are feeling punished. They go to college and like, no, you can't enter this program until you take the study skills class. Like you're being punished because you didn't learn how to study. To me, that's crazy. I just wish there was more of that. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you.
1: (laughs) I'm saving up resources for my future kids so they can learn these things really early on and not struggle as much as I did.
0: Good, good. Go for it, Chase. Love it.
1: (laughs) If you could change one thing in medicine, what would it be?
0: Well, although this may be controversial, one of the things that I did in later in life, using my reading skills, by the way, I would not have done this if I didn't have good reading skills, is I studied to become a homeopath, which is a natural medicine practitioner. And when I did this, I realized that what I wish is that the medical community that medical doctors that when they're trained would at least taste some of the other modalities that are out there that some people really find valuable so that they can at least respect them and go, you know what, you know, this way isn't always the best way that like it's a buffet. I think in, in healing, there should be a buffet just like in learning. And so to make it more individualized, people should test out the things that they feel work for them and to use their own body's wisdom to make that happen. So that's kind of what I'm hoping is that some of your listeners will kind of open their minds a little bit to maybe something else as well as what they're currently learning.
1: I like the idea of more electives, especially if maybe it's just an online thing, you can get a little taste, at least understand it a little bit more, not just the positive or negative aspects from each side.
0: Mm -hmm. Interesting. Thank you.
1: (laughs) Are there any other resources that you would recommend to the audience?
0: Um, I would say for speed reading, if you want to play There's some fun free apps online. One is called Spreeder, S-P-R-E-E-D-E-R.com. And the other one is called Zap Reader, Z-A-P-R-E-A-D-E-R. And they pretty much both work the same way. So if you're reading an article online, you can copy it, copy the text, paste it into Spreader or Zap Reader, and then you can set it to be delivered to you. The words show up on your screen in the speed that you want. Most of them default at around 250 or 300 words a minute. And it's a start. And it usually starts with one word at a time. You can end up with two words or three words or four words. But what I tell people is do one word at a time at 300 for just like, a minute and then go to 400 and then go to 500 and just get to a point where it's like your breaking point and then go back down. Let's say 600 is your breaking point. Then go back down to 500, then to 400, then to 300. And that 300 that you thought was like, whoa, that's blowing my mind isn't as bad anymore because your eyes and brain are getting used to processing quicker. So it's really fun to play with those websites, and another one is called Spritz Inc. S P R I T Z I N C dot It's a similar concept, a little bit different, but check them out. Very cool stuff. spreader Zap Reader, and Spritzing
1: Okay yeah cool. Yeah. I have definitely tried some of them out before. I have a lot of trouble with the one word at a time. I like it when it's several words at a time. just that one word I don't know if my eyes are really messed up or what, <laughs> but those are difficult for me. That's
0: okay. That's good to know. It's good to know. yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, you do once you try something really fast though and go back to what you thought was fast before, noticing that difference is pretty it's an interesting comparison.
0: yeah, I think it's a great way to play and get the eyes and brain to start communicating more efficiently.
1: Are there any parting thoughts or recommendations for students and hopeful students?
0: (laughs) I would just say... You know that if you can get your sleep, your nutrition, your exercise, just kind of really get peaceful within yourself, or know how that that's going to be like a good basis for learning anything. But also know that perfection is really not possible. (laughs) I mean, getting good is important, but to think that you can be perfect is a lot to put on a person. And I know a lot of people who are going to medical school, especially even law school, think they have to know every little thing. And if you don't get it all, there's something wrong. So, like if you got let's say a 75 on an exam, you could beat yourself up for the 25 you didn't get, but give yourself a ton of kudos for the 75 you did get and go, okay, wow, that's great. I got 75%. I just need to work harder on that 25%. It's all perspective.
1: I like it. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Abby Marks Beal, 10 Mm. Days to Faster Reading, several other really important books and revitupreading.com. We're going to have the links in the show notes. Thank you so much for coming on today.
0: My pleasure. I hope it's helpful to some of the people listening. Thanks.
1: I'm sure it is. Thanks. Yeah, I
0: hope so. (laughs)